counterselling. What is counterselling? Think of a great puncher, right? We're in Las Vegas right here. Floyd Mayweather lives right down the street here. Great counter puncher, right? Let them swing first and you counter and then hit them back, right? When they're off their toes. So you just trap them in the beginning of the conversation with so many different things and pin them later right into the spot that you want them. I was a few minutes late here. I had to make myself a Moscow Mule official new drink of Las Vegas here. Welcome to the show, Mr. Lack. How are you? I still like Goose and Red Bull. Tito's. Tito, that's the old Vegas drink. Tito Red Bull Vodka. Kettle Red Bull. Now it's Tito Mule. Tito Let's say hello to everybody. Crap. Brad McFarlane out in Texas. Gary Bender joining us for the show. Gary, we've got to get you back on the show. People want to hear what you have to say. What's going on in the world of CFOs? If you don't know, High Stakes Advising 2021 rescheduled August 9th and 10th. Be there. Mr. Bender will be speaking. Uh, what else we got here? Rod, nice. Rod Strada. What's up, Rod? Spoke to Rod yesterday. Skylar Cleveland. Frank. We're missing the president's speech to listen to you. Well, don't worry. I'm sure it was sir. a 10th delay. Do you mean the president's teleprompter or what do they tell him to read these days? Huh? It was recorded. He, he's giving it a speech tonight. Really? I think it's been like two months since he's joined and he hasn't said anything yet. So what else? I asked Greg? him to be on the show, but they, they, they declined. That's not not quite their show. We might ask them questions. If any of you want to come on the show, we're welcoming guests. If you got a story you want to come on, tell the story. Let us know. We're celebrating a lot of wins in the Hunters Club on Fridays. Look forward to hearing from two gentlemen booking consultant agreements tomorrow. 190 lives and 330 lives. Ooh. That being said, show sponsor, That's Virtue cute. Health. Just check us out, virtualliance.com, your private group consortium. Book a demo. We'll tell you all about it. Craig. Yeah. SSM. What in the hell does that mean? Yeah. See that it goes to make my point. How many times do I tell everybody? You're right. Make a name up for stuff. Don't say what everybody else says because you got to ask what is WSSM working spouse spend management. Everybody has spend management concerns, whether it's, the VP of uh, purchasing or the VP of the supply chain or just the head sales guy who's in charge of negotiating the vendors or the CFO or the controller or the president of the company, depending on the size you're calling on. They all do it every day. And so working spouses represents, you know, that's the definition for all you pointed head brokers out there of adverse selection, right? We love to use the, the doctors love a dead language, Latin. You know, we love to come up with jargon. So we have to explain it. So adverse selection, working spouses makes no sense. There's no business moral or ethical reason for you to ensure people who work for another employer who for all you know is a competitor of yours. And so we thought, hey, it would be fun to talk about a strategy that's easy to have in every single renewal meeting or prospect meeting, how are you handling working spouse spend management, right? What do you say, John? You ever had that conversation with anybody or anybody want to comment? Yeah, I mean, I like to look at 
if they're self-funded, it's low-hanging fruit, right? You could just look at the reporting and just see how much of the claims spent is dependents and spouses. <laughs> you think? I mean, <laughs> very simple. Yeah. How do we address that? But it's something newer that I have conversations about. I had one the other day. I had one the other day that had a had a decently high PEPY, and he's just looking for creative ways to lower his healthcare costs. Obviously, and once I see a high PEPY, we already know they're not managing things well. But it's really a factor of a high conversion. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. It typically is when you look at the average group and when you can get claims data. It's not uncommon to find the PEPY of the spouses higher than the employees. Usually because of maternity, because when you get to the high female content groups, it doesn't it doesn't work that way. But in general, when you have the data, which a lot of you like to espouse, you know, analytics, just look at the numbers and then ask yourself, how big does the financial impact have to be before this is a C-suite decision as opposed to a human resources decision? How big does it have to be? So when they go, oh, we're looking for creative reasons. Well, you know, lots of people talk a good game. Many, many are interested, few are committed. How big does the financial impact have to be for this to be a C-suite decision? You see how easy that was? Now you get them to open their kimono and go, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, we have a parade of the brokers who will throw their proverbial hats in the ring and tell us everything they know. And then, yeah, you know, maybe we'll do something, maybe we won't. So you just flat out ask them, how big does the financial impact have to be? So you go beyond just asking about stuff to actually having to do it. Because to not do it would be insane, stupid, and negligent. And so uh, let's start with number one of the nine. Wait, speaking of that, in Vegas, had to pick one up. Golden Knights, really big out here, the hockey team, all over the place. I thought it was a virtue hat. They're they're into sports here over here in Las Vegas. Let me tell you, they're big big fans. Dude, when I was playing. Big drinkers, too. Any any reason to drink? There's a hockey game three times a week. You know how long they've been waiting for pro sports teams? Now they got, you know, football and hockey. When I was in college back in the day playing hoops, we were in the league with UNLV. So we played them twice a year. And when we went there, shoot, I was such a young pup. When I started college, I was 17. So I I redshirted my first year. I got hurt and I still, so my last year, I just finally turned 21. So every away game, unbeknownst to lay people, we'd get two tickets to every away game and you'd be sitting there in Wichita, Kansas going, what the hell do I do with this? You know, there was no, you know, no internet back then guys. You couldn't, you couldn't just sell them. So you go to Vegas and I could slap those two tickets down because UNLV was the hottest ticket in Vegas. They just built the Thomas and Mack Center, 25,000 people, screaming bloody murder. It was so cool. You couldn't even hear yourself talk on the court. It was great. But I could lay those tickets down and I would win at blackjack all night long. It was so cool. So, yeah, I know they're excited about pro sports. Very much so. So anybody out there, reach out and say, hey, have you used dependent care audits? Because to me, that's the closest thing to a business colonoscopy that there is. It's just downright unfriendly. And if you find any prospect or client who's ever done that, hell, you can sell them anything. Because if they went to that extent, dependent care audits are unfriendly. What do you say, John? I think you got to give them some of those questions that you that you use in the meetings. Like, how much do you contribute to – what are those ones you use? I'm not going to steal them from you as much as I want to. Good questions. You Go forget? ahead. Yeah, yeah. Leave, yeah, give me, a, give me a kickstart. How much How much do you contribute to the spouse's 401K plan? 
Oh, God, yeah, I forgot about that. It's been so long since I, I did that one. Yeah. What kind of contribution do you make to, for the spouse's 401k plan? How's that go? Oh, none. No, why? They're not my employee. Fascinating. So I'm curious what went into the business decision to allow you to contribute for the working spouses on your medical plan and then pay claims out of the profits of the company. And then knowing that when you pay claims out of the profits for the company for somebody who doesn't work for you, who you won't even make a measly 401k contribution for, you then steal money away from your own workforce because now there's less money available for wage increases, new benefits, new training, new initiatives for you, et cetera, et cetera. Tell me what went into that business decision. They go, oh, nobody ever explained it to me like that. So is there a business moral or ethical reason why you should pay the claims of somebody who doesn't work for you? Not usually. It's such a great way to get them to start thinking differently than Think different. the current track that they're used to. For example, spoke to an employer this week. Shout out to Gary Bender. Sent me a referral. Spoke to him. They said, well, we, we've been looking at self-funded for five years and, you know, hasn't made sense to us. By the time the call was over, it was basically, look, I've been pitched this many times. I've never heard it like that. And you've got me very intrigued and interested to take the next step. And the reason is you're doing things differently. You're getting them to think differently than they normally think. And you trap them. Yeah. I'm going to coin the phrase counter-selling. Okay, I already talked to my attorney. I said, can we can we coin that phrase? Counter selling. What is counter selling? Think of a great puncher, right? We're in Las Vegas right here. I can look out my window right now. I can see the Allegiant Stadium and I can see the T-Mobile Stadium where they're they're doing fights at, I believe. Right? Counter punching. The great Floyd Mayweather lives right down the street here. Great counter puncher, right? Let them swing first and you counter and then hit them back, right? When they're off their toes. So you just trap them in the beginning of the conversation with so many different things and pin them later right into the spot that you want them that is around your solution. Now, it takes practice, guys. You can't just try to try to free roll it on the call. You've got to decide what you're trying to pitch, how you're trying to pitch it and practice it. I had a script of questions. You can't see them right here. I'm not going to let you see them, but I had a script of questions that I prepared before the call because I knew a little bit about them. I did my research, and I said, this may go a couple different ways, but let me write these down just in case I get lost on the call, I forget something, and just trap the shit out of them. And that's exactly what that question does, Craig. Tell me where it leads after you say that. I watched the CFOs do a, a virtual moonwalk in front of me, and so they always have three answers. So I'm, you know, curious. So what went into the business decision? So they always say, well, it, it was here when I got here. That's number three answer. Number two answer would be nobody's explained it to me like that. And then the number one answer is, well, HR told me that we need all of the people enrolled that we can possibly have because we need their premium contributions. Number one answer. And so I push the issue. So is there a business moral or ethical reason why you should pay the claims of another employer's employee who, for all you know, that employer is a competitor of yours to the detriment of your own workforce? Absolutely not. Okay, then it's easy. You should put in a mandatory working spouse carve out or a voluntary spousal surcharge of $400 a month. Boom. Now, the only question is, will they force execution on their human resources person? And then it's back to, well, so we've already identified 
by spending money on these people who don't work for your organization, you take money away from your own employees. HR, you said out of this side of your mouth, you said you love your employees. So we've got to explain the conflict here. How does that make sense to you? You could offer your employees better benefits by getting the people who don't work for your company off of your plan in a variety of different ways. And guys, don't don't look at this the wrong way. You're, you're in a competition here, right? You're you're competing almost with the employer itself. And you've got to set traps and, and look at this as a as a competition, like a game. You're not doing anything bad to them. We're not doing anything wrong. We've actually got to, you know, salesmen are needed because they need to sell the shit that people need because their their biases and their disbeliefs keep telling them that they shouldn't do it and they should stay in this zone or the safe zone that's been screwing them for years. So, you know, if you're you're leading them to the self-funded past and the things we do at Virtue Health, then you're doing the right thing. If you're leading them somewhere else, get off the call. But the reality is we're trying to lead them to the promised land. And you've got to attack them in a strategic way just like you're going to war. So, prepare your questions that pin them in the corner or get them to say the things you want them to say and then put the mirror up in front of them and tell them, did I hear what you just said? Cause you just said this. And then they'll slowly change their mind because it's like cold calling, Craig, you know, you talk about objections, right? And I always talk about these walls that they put up, right? Somebody cold calls you right now, Craig, you're going to go, it's not a good time. It's not a good time. This, you know, right away you have those automatic whatever you call them, automatic things that go off in your head, stop, right? Jump over the wall, objecting one, objecting two. And you've got to break down these barriers so they listen to you. One of my best clients took three objections till they finally said, maybe we should look at this. It's the same thing in a meeting. So think about anything that you're pitching, and Belford would call it, who High Stakes Advising 2021, August 9th and 10th, Costa Mesa, California, will be there teaching straight line, right? Every sale is a straight line. But if you hit a wall on the line, what he calls it is looping. You've got to loop back and resell the point. He talks about the three tens. Ten with you, ten on the product, ten on your company. Okay, they got to be at three tens to get them to move forward. But it's just looping back and reselling the situation here. But again, it's a little trickery, a little wordsmithing, but it works really well. Hey, you just got to tap into unrecognized opportunities. That's what differentiates you from everybody else spewing the same stuff, right? I, I can show you how to get a discount on the claim, right? Everything everything we have in our toolbox is to get a discount on the claim. Here you go. Bundle pricing, direct contrasting, RBP, DPC, MSK, you know, bariatric surgery, specialty pharmacy carve-out, fiduciary PBM, MAP programs, blah, 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 right? And so... You have to figure out a way to, to differentiate and pierce their reduce their the claim, reduce the claim. You ask the employer, you know what kind of we know what the best health plan is? Plan with how many employees do you think if you were on it? If you could have an ideal health plan, what's the best health plan? Trick <laughs> Nobody question, right? right? Nobody. Nobody. The least yeah. amount of people on the plan, the better the health plan. The more people on the plan, the more the risk. Okay. So I want a health plan with nobody on it. So when you're talking about a program like Craig's or other ones, it's like we don't want anybody on a plan, especially like Cobra people getting Cobra people off. We want to get as many people off the plan as we can because each person is a potential risk. I don't care how healthy they are. There's still going to be a potential risk. Claims evacuation. Yeah, absolutely. So number two, number one, for those who came in late, 
working spouse spend management. What I see out there, dependent care audits, really painful, really aggressive, really unfriendly. If if that client or prospect will do that, they'll do anything that you're planning on selling them. Number two, I'd say the most passive approach that most companies do is they say, well, we just don't spend much, invest much, or contribute much to the dependents. So it's really expensive for a spouse to be on the plan or a family, and that just drives them off. Okay, you know, that's the passive approach. It's one of the ways to do it. Another way, number three, would be cash in lieu of benefits. More of a public sector thing that I see where, uh, you know, school districts seem to love that. It seems to be part of the best practice formula around the country. But it's because <laughs> of the money they pay for benefits. It's yeah, it's usually set up very poorly, though. It's like $1,200. $2,000. And so I, I always go, oh, you got cash in lieu of benefits. How much? Oh, $1,800 a year. I'm fascinated at this question. Do you know the answer? What's the average age of the people who take cash in lieu of benefits versus the average age of the participants? I bet it's the young kids who take the 1800 bucks. You know, and so yeah, you have a conversation to explore. You know, well, what do you think the effect of moving 8% of your population who are all under 30 taking cash in lieu of benefits. Don't, don't you need their typically good claims to support the chronics and the criticals? And so once again, you know, another way to just open up a conversation. You ever see cash in lieu out there in Jersey? Well, I stay away from those. I stay away from those organizations. I got to tell you, it's not my forte. Uh, One way I trapped a guy the other day is, is the how question. Well, we're going into the the group purchasing consortium and taking them alternative funding. And how do you do it? Right. And so, you know, a simple way, and you don't want to go too deep. They start asking questions. You got to give them a little something, but you know, you just trap them in a situation of, well, how do your healthcare plan work? So let's let's talk about how your healthcare plan works first. So talk to me about it right now. If you need a knee surgery, what does that look like for you? If you need a knee surgery, what would you do? How would you find out where to go? And you trap them to the reality, right? And they always say one of three things, where my doctor tells me to go. I call the insurance company, friends and family. And then you tell them why that doesn't work, okay? And get them to agree on that. And then you tell them how your plan works and the difference. Don't just tell them and get so excited to tell them how yours work. You have to show them first that what they have is shit and then compare the two. Right. Frame it as a question. Yeah. You've, you've got to you create the gap. I think oh. your employees would prefer. Right. To today's way or the picture, the experience that you're going to paint for them by asking them. But what if it could work like this? Do you think they would prefer that better? And so you get them. So it's not so much always a pitch. It, it's a question. Right, because you're trying to engage them in a conversation, so that you can build some rapport and trust with them. Yeah, and and you just got to walk them through. I mean, I know we're going an open talk here, but I I had a good call with a, a guy the other day, and I, I really just you know it was it was three people in the room, right? Which is more of a challenge. You would agree, Craig? It's more of a challenge when you've got three personalities. You've got the HR, you've got the CFO, you've got the owner. You're trying to talk to multiple personalities, but it's a great it's my favorite question that I stole from Craig is, is I don't know much about you guys know about your organization and you know, that you're in the manufacturing industry. But the reality is, is everybody 
has employees on their plans that incur the same different type of medical conditions. So tell me what the purpose is of healthcare at your organization. It's such a simple question and they really will get into it. And again, what are we doing? Trapping them. That's all it is. It's a trap. And I utilize it through the rest of the conversation. I just go back. We really, our employees, John, have been here for a long time and we really care about them. 20 year tenure, that tells you a lot. And then what you do, right, Craig? You go, well, talk to me about your plan design real quick. How does that work? And then they go into, well, we have a high deductible health plan. And it just so happened that the CFO said, yeah, the premium out of pocket is about 20% of their, their gross pay. You got to stop right there, John, and you got to go. So, CFO, look, obviously, I don't know anything about it, and I'm not going to insult you, but let's just say you make $300,000 compared to the rest of your hourly working average wage, which is obviously much lower. So, you're the CFO, you make 300 grand. 20% for you is 60K. You suppose when you go back, you know, at open enrollment and talk to your spouse, you go, sweetheart, we had $60,000 in out of pocket expenses. What the hell? I mean, would would that cause you stress? Would that cause him or her stress? Hell yeah, it would. What makes you think that's a good plan? And and that's why he said it. You know, he was actually probably on my side more so, and he said it. And, and and I said, well, that geez, that that's an effect on the employees. And then I go to the HR. I said, when you got your increase last year, what's that like for you to have to tell them every year that it's going up again, and that maybe we got to change the plans and cut benefits. And what do we always talk about, Craig? The pain train. Pain, 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 pain. Right? And again, back to the script. What is the pain? What are the consequences of the pain? How long has the pain been going on? What have you done to fix it? I'm not giving you all the, I'm not going to be all the secret sauce. But if you could frame all the questions around that, God damn, it's so easy. It's so easy. And most of them will will tell you. They will all yap and usually tell you if you pause yeah. Right, Craig. How many brokers you've been on the phone with that they can't? Oh, they can't. God. They can't take this. Ready, Craig? Silence. They oh. hate it. God, they th- they they always throw up. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's, it just kills me. I'm like, shut up and let them answer it's, the question. It's a trick. Just bite your tongue. Say what yeah. you have to say and say, look, I'll digress there for a second. Yeah. And then just shut up. I go so far as to say that wasn't a rhetorical question. I'm waiting for an answer. That's how long I will wait. Yeah. You can always get them talking if you make them a little uncomfortable. And when people get uncomfortable, it's like when they're around the police, they talk and they say everything. Yeah. And and I don't even know if it's so much uncomfortable. It's just that you have to get them to open up. You know, I mean, most people are very reticent to be vulnerable they don't know you. And so you really have to work the rapport angle to get them so that when you ask them questions, instead of making statements, it doesn't sound like you're creating friction and you're accusing them of being a failure at their job. So it, framing it as a question is sometimes less stressful for the listener. And I try not to, I've lightened up. Usually I attack them and I'll go after them or this or that or poke at them when they tell me they did something wrong. I let them come to the conclusion themselves just through questioning and pausing and coming back to it. Yeah. Right. It's 20% of gross. Yeah. Okay. So you're out of pocket and premiums. This it's 
X amount. I asked him, you know, what's your payroll there? So, oh, it's it's eighteen dollars an hour. So, what's that? Thirty eight thousand dollars a year. And how much are they paying towards premium? What's their out of pocket? Okay, so that's twelve, thirteen thousand to thirty eight thousand. That's a third. No, not a third. Yeah, a third. Let them come to the conclusion. Pause. You know, what I like to do. I like to pause and write it down. It's a little pause. Yeah, let's them think for a second. And, and there's just you, you got. Like, I guess when you're in a therapist and a doctor, and you say something, and they look down, and they write it down. And you're like, oh shit, I'm fucked up, ain't I? Okay, <laughs> so yeah, just a little trick. Back yeah. to WSSM. Yes, working spouse spend management. So the next one would be, hey, use the ACA exclusion and don't cover spouses at all. They're not considered legal dependents according to the Affordable Care Act. Fairly draconian. I don't see it very often. Usually in low margin, like people who make clothes, you know, really, really low wage stuff. Yeah, that's a common one. And, and then there's obviously then you get the progression. So depending on the survey, SHRM, PwC, Mercer, surveys I've seen, you got anywhere from 25 to 38 percent of employers in the country, depending on the region of the country, say that they either use a voluntary working spouse surcharge or a mandatory working spouse carve-out. Two more options. Now, the reason that 6 out of 10 to 3 out of 4 employers have never done anything is because, typically, human resources doesn't like the optics of either of those strategies because it appears to them that they're kicking people off the plan and they're under the misguided ignorance of thinking that they need the spousal premiums to support the rest of the plan, missing the point entirely of how much money the claims cost and how that drives up the cost for his or her actual employees. And so those are the most popular strategies. I will tell you from experience, the spousal surcharge is done wrong at almost every house, every national house at 75, 100 or $125 best practices. So what do we know? Let's go back to that group you just talked about, John. You put in a $100 a month spousal surcharge on that group where they're already spending close to 20% of their gross wages and out-of-pocket and premium charges. And what you're going to find is the people, spouses, the working spouses who know how to use the plan, who like the plan, who are on the plan because for whatever reason they don't like the plan where they work, they're going to pay the $100 a month, $1,200 a year. And the healthy spouses who don't use it Remember the 80-20 rule, 20% of them incur 80% of the claims. 80% of those spouses, they're going to leave. They're going to go to the plan where they work because they're not going to pay an extra 1200 bucks in premium. They don't use the plan now. So now you're left with a smaller pool of sicker people. Dumb idea. Completely ineffective most of the time on what you expected to accomplish. I think you got to realize, too, with this, Craig and you can correct me if I'm wrong. These are conversations to have with the employer. It's not necessarily you're making a recommendation, especially to a prospect, because you're asking for what? You're asking for change, massive change, unknown change. You're just sharing in ideas to get them thinking, right? I mean, we don't have a budget for this, that, or the other thing. Well, Actually, you might have the budget. Here's an easy way that I mean, many employers recognize, and it's the working spouse spend management. Now you just segue into your conversation. Yeah, yeah. And and what, what's your your guys out in uh, Nola over there? How much how much in new business has they written pitching your solution? Not even implementing it, just pitching it. Two million plus. 
winning RFPs based on having conversations that sound different, right? So the example I like to give, and so picture this, if anybody has watched The Voice, right? It's a, it's a show where people, singers come on stage, but the judges all have their backs turned to them. So all they can do is hear the voice. So we're eliminating the bias of, you know, wh what do they look like? And so I use this analogy, especially with the big houses. I said, so, so let me get this straight. We're on the business voice and you're pitching to the CFO, the chief human resource officer and the VP of comp and benefits. And they're in the judge's chair and their, and their backs are turned and it's you and it's any ABC house, CD, F house. Yeah. I'm not going to mention any names. Right. And so you all get in there and you go, we've got a risk council. We've got a farm D we got a wellness MD. We got population health management. We got communication. We got a, a ACA compliance. We've got everything. And so you all get done with your RBP, your DPC, your PBM, and you do, do the whole show. You guys all sound exactly alike. You do. You have the same tools in your toolbox that everybody else does. The only question is, are you going to go like to the nth degree and say, bariatric surgery carve out? And they all agree and they go, it's a problem sometimes. Sometimes it's just, a, it's, it's a bake off or a beauty contest and they're going to, they're going to either pick the incumbent. They're just doing it as a, because they have to, it says that they have to do it every three to five years. So they do it for that reason, or it becomes a personality match you know, maybe an executive turned over and this is their wedge to bring in the people that they used to work with under the guise of it was objective. It was an RFP. And so all that gamesmanship, most bake-offs result in an 80% no change. And so the opportunity to have a different conversation, to sound different, it is relatively easy. You just got to be able to think on your feet. John, you said earlier, hey, they said they had an average 20-year tenure. Well, okay. See, that makes me think. And maybe I'm just weird, but it makes me think it's like, well, oh, that's interesting. What's your turnover rate? What percentage of your workforce that's eligible for your, your benefit plan doesn't take it? Right. I just talked to a case earlier this week. They're at 22 percent. I mean, the woman literally was like, oh, we have the greatest plan. It's a high deductible HSA, one plan for everybody. How many generations do you have working for your company? You know, you got the, the, the Gen Z. You got the millennials, you know, the digitals, the millennials, the Gen Xers, the boomers, and the greatest generation. How many do you have? Oh, five generations. One health plan for everybody. Curious. 22% wave. And, and all they could talk about was, well, you know, it's really important for us that everybody has the same thing. I'm like, well, same is subject to interpretation, right? There's a lot of bias in what's the same, what the same if you make 40,000 versus 140,000. I, I don't think the out-of-pocket's the same as a percentage of income. I don't think the contributions are the same as a percentage of income. I don't think the impact of the high deductible is the same. And so you can have all sorts of conversations in so many different ways to get them to open their mind about the way they see things. Because remember, I mean, it's, they've typically been doing it like this. I've been buying healthcare for 18 years at this company. This is what that means. They have blinders on. And so the ability for you to expand their horizon, you know, they use it a telephoto lens, basically. And you're you're gonna come in there and go, let me let me give you, let me tell you what the world looks like. It's wide angle lens. Whoa. And so if you're successful, you can open up their minds and and make them potentially open to hiring you either on a fee or an AOR BOR. Yeah, we had the young gentleman uh Josh Hyman. Shout out to Josh Hyman and his team over there. 
picked up at a 200 life group. I think it was 190, 200 lives from a group. And they were interviewing with uh, one of the big houses. And they said, you've said more in this 10 minute conversation than they have in three meetings. <laughs> and this gentleman is in his 20s. But he sounds different. He knows what he's doing. He's implementing yeah. strategies that work. And they came in with the usual bells and whistles. Now, you got to remember, Craig, right? It's it's the inexperience and what, what do they call it? They, we only know what we're taught. It was like me when I started. I only knew small group because I worked for an agent that had all small groups. So I didn't even know groups over that existed. So when you go into a big house, what they have, they're trained that way. They're newer. Uh, they take over accounts and they're taught to sell a certain way that we're big, right? I had a, I had a conversation with a bigger house broker today and they asked, well, how big is your consortium? I said, the right question is, is how good is my consortium running? You want to talk about size, right? W- w- what does size do? Look at the end are you, is your consortium bigger than the individual market? Yeah. That goes to uh, what we've been teaching for two years is everybody's going to try to sell to their strengths and you already know how the big guys are going to sell. They're always going to sell to make you look small. How many clients do you have in that industry? How big is your consortium? How many lives? What's your premium volume? All of that silly crap that means nothing, but it makes their buyer, their client feel safe. So you have to disrupt that and force them to play on your terms. That's the whole secret. Yeah, and, you, and you've got to realize that's what makes people, right? What do they say? The brain avoids. Number one thing is to avoid pain and danger. So if you read the book, The Evolution of Desire, Dr. David Buss, great book, talks about human mating, right? So women, every species, who are they more attracted to? Who do they want? They want the taller guy. Because he can protect me. It's safer, 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 safer. So did I mention I'm six foot five? Okay, I'm just saying. There you go. We need to do an episode on that. Why you why your HR person loves to date the big house, because they're the bigger guy and it sounds safer. So the evolution of human nature, especially if it's a woman, they're going to choose bigger is better, safer, right? The evolution desires the bigger guy can hunt and can protect me from being raped that was why they chose the bigger guy that was their thing that's their shtick okay so the evolution they're still there right what do you say we haven't had a upgrade of our brain in many- upgrade in two hundred thousand years yeah so that's what you're competing with when you're up against yeah. the big guys are you surprised that they sell compliance administrative support process support right all of the things that typically a lot of human resource people are concerned about as a priority. Notice nowhere in there was, what kind of outcomes are you getting? Oh, well, we paper over that. It's my own editorializing. We paper over that by using benchmarks because we're kind of the paid sales force for the bukas. So, you know, they tee up a nice initial renewal for us and then we magically negotiate it down and we beat the peer benchmark and that kind of checks the box on that pretty easily. And, we focus on the safety and security of, of picking us. Cause you know, what could that standalone broker do for you? I mean, are you kidding me? What, what happens if they go on vacation, you know? And so they play the big card resource you to death, keep you safe. See, it's a yeah. different approach. They're selling to their strength and we you have, have to learn how to yeah, figure it. We have 5,000 employees. So they're all going to be working on you. We're, we're bigger than you. 
Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah. You know. So let me give you another working spouse spend management. Another one that I've seen, I think it was uh, most recently the state of Delaware, really odd. And then uh, all of a sudden, I, uh, two in a month. So they have a spouse, working spouse carve out. Somebody asked your Bill Schmaltz, what method do you use to identify a working spouse? Well, I don't know. That's reminds me of the statement of how do you know it's pornography? Well, I know it when I see it. Working spouse is someone who's eligible and entitled to group medical insurance where they work. Okay. Simple enough. So what these, this alternative working spouse strategy says is if your company where you work, working spouse charges you more than X dollars per month, then you can be on our plan and you have to prove to us how much they charge you. And as long as it's, you know, above this limit that we've set, you can be on our plan. That's a really odd one, but see, there's all kinds of quirky stuff out there. And so uh, that's another one. You ever seen that one, John? Yeah. I mean, you drink it over well, there, huh? I'm, I was trying to go, I was going to sneak off to refill a drink, but. Uh, oh, okay. Well, go ahead. I'll, I'll keep talking. I got, I got uh, more. I didn't make it. I didn't make to it, but. Uh, <laughs> We're at 41 minutes after the hour. We're going we're gonna to wrap this up real quick. I got quick. two more. I got two more, brother. Go for it. We're only in seven. Okay. Number eight. It's another one of these passive ways. So you run into a lot of groups and they, they have two tiers. I love that one. In today's modern world, you still have two tiers. You got single employee and then you got all others. I'm like, do you have single parents working for you? You make them pay the family premium? I mean, you basically get all of these, probably the majority of the dependents subsidize the families. Favorite HRF word. Is that fair? <laughs> they, they love fairness. So, you know, why not three tiers? Why not four tiers? Hell, I've seen nine, 10, 12 tiers with different large organizations. So a passive way that they try and prohibit dependents from signing up is by their tier structure. And so that's an easy one when you go out and meet a prospect and they got two tiers in four generations and one freaking health plan for the single 26-year-old, the 38-year-old with three kids, the 49-year-old the with two in college, and the 58-year-old empty nesters. What the hell? How does that make sense? Who's giving you advice? Maybe some of you do that. I, I don't see it. I don't see I see that as a giant opportunity to get poached. And so the tier structure, low-hanging fruit, heck, uh, there's still unions that have single tier, super composite rate, single, family, one rate, absolute crazy. It's like a flashback to 1990, for those of you old enough to remember. Should we tell them about the way that you can get 25 to 35% of the population off the plan? Well, See I was kind of saving that for the last one. For the Hunter Club guys? <laughs> Remove 25 to 35% of your population off the plan. But the ninth way is this thing called the Spousal Incentive HRA, our CYRA program. So that's the methodology to not avoid, reduce, or retain risk, but in fact to transfer it. And to transfer it in such a form and fashion that you give them better coverage, 100% tier of coverage, and it costs a fraction of what it costs to sell risk compared to what it costs you to buy the risk. So those are the nine conversations about working spouse spend management and the adverse selection it creates. Pretty good collection. That's enough. Want to learn more? Call Craig. Get your spouses off the plan. Get employees off the plan. Save money. 
high stakes advising. I'm already I'm already promoting it. Huh? Oh man, I'm excited hey, about it. it. It's gonna be good. I got a new secret sauce. People are ready to get the hell out of the house. Be at an event. July. No. What is it? August 9th and 10th. Did I say July? August 9th and 10th in warm and fuzzy Costa Mesa, California, out in Huntington Beach area. It'll be fun. Check it out. What are you going to trademark? What are you calling it? Counter selling. Counter selling. -selling. So I'm testing a counter selling mechanism based on a talk I gave a couple of years ago. And it's having incredible success. So for those who show up in August, I'm going to teach it to you because it is the verbal equivalent of a two by four upside their head. And they can't, cannot argue with it. In matter of fact, when I ask them, they will tell me exactly what I want to hear every single time. It's fun. So by the time August comes, I'll have it mastered. Sometimes you just got to short circuit their brain and counter selling. That's what it does. Maybe I'll do a session on counter selling. Maybe that'll be my session. I was planning on just hosting, but maybe I'll do it. That being said, thanks for joining us guys. As always, we will see you next week. Same place, same time. 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Heads up advisor. Check us out. Happy hunting. Peace. Peace.